There was um, a guy who kept forgetting his password to log into his computer. So he finally changed his password to the word incorrect. That way, whenever he put in the wrong password in his computer, he would be reminded what his password was. Incorrect. Mark chapter 14. We come to the passage where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you think that experience was easy, you are incorrect. Instead, it was a battle. And perhaps the most important battle in history. I believe it was the greatest battle that there ever was. And of course, in many wars there have been decisive battles that have changed the course of history. In 732, there was uh, Muslim armies swept across the, the Strait of Gibraltar, captured Portugal, Spain, and much of France. The goal was to conquer all of Europe, but the Muslim armies were defeated at the Battle of Tours, led by Charles Martel. And had that battle not been won, we might all be Muslim today. In the war for American independence, General George Washington trapped the British commander, Charles Cornwallis, at Yorktown, which ultimately led to the British surrender. And had that battle not been won, we perhaps would all be in the Queen's realm. In Europe, Napoleon was sweeping across the European continent. But in 18 15, the, at the Battle of, Battle of Waterloo, Lord Wellington was successful in defeating Napoleon. And had that battle not been successful, we might all be speaking French today. And who can forget D-Day, June the 6th, 1944. When thousands of Allied troops invaded Europe and began to march towards Berlin and had that invasion failed, we might all be speaking German today. You see, in every war, there's a, a turning point that changes the course of history. And in the battle for our hearts and souls, I believe... The most important battle that was fought was fought at at Gethsemane. Jesus was yet to be crucified, but I think a real battle took place there that day. Hey, boy, quiet down. Bye, love you. 
<clears throat> Mark fourteen thirty two through forty one. <clears throat> and I apologize if my son headbutted you in the nursery. We're teaching him to be an MMA fighter. We, we teach him early. <clears throat> and they came to the place which is called Gethsemane, which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly, exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went, a little, he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is, the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words and returned. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. What a sobering thought to think that in just a few hours he was going to be tried illegally. He was going to be sentenced to death and then die for the sins of humanity. And yet the disciples couldn't even watch with him one hour. We didn't read it, but in the first, <clears throat> it, at, right after they had the Passover, Peter was is foretold of his denial. Lord, I love you. And sometimes, it's so often in the Christian life, we, we say we love God, we love God, we love God, but that doesn't mean we trust him. For here is Peter. He even saw Christ. He saw the very Son of God, and yet he had trust in himself. More than God. Oh, I won't deny you. I'll die for you, Jesus. And I believe Peter loved Jesus. But he trusted himself. And I've witnessed in my own life people who love Jesus. Genuinely love Jesus. I believe in my heart they love Jesus. 
but they trust themselves. This is the difference between Peter and Jesus. Jesus is teaching us a lesson about battles. For we may all go through an experience like Gethsemane, where we come to a place of agony, and it looks like defeat is on the horizon. But as I was reminded this week in a message, there's always a plot twist. All throughout history, there's plot twists. And sometimes it seems like it's at the last moment. There's a plot twist. Even Jesus being dead for three days. Plot twist, he's alive. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching, reading of your word. Help us to expound truth and be concise. We thank you for this, your people. And help us to be a blessing in Christ's name. Amen. The study of Mark is bringing us ever closer to the cross. And as Jesus approaches that hour, events in his life begin to move forward at an incredible pace. Remember what we said about Jesus in the book of Mark? It is a fast gospel, immediately. And it seems like Mark chapter 1 through 12 it just skips right through, and then it comes to 13, and it begins to slow down a little bit. And 14 slows down a little bit, but still moving at a good pace where we can follow along. Mark chapter 14 is the longest chapter in Mark. We join Jesus and his men again on this eventful night after they had celebrated the Passover they left the room where they celebrated the Passover, made their way from Jerusalem down to the Kidron Valley, a place called Gethsemane. On the way to Gethsemane, Jesus discusses with his disciples many great truths contained in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. John 17 is that great high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for us. All of this occurs on the way to Gethsemane, and our text today focused on, on this place called Gethsemane. On that night, Gethsemane became a place where eternal business was trans transacted for the glory of God. I want to point out some facts We'll pray, we'll be done. It was a place of pressure. The name Gethsemane means olive press. Did you know that when you collect olives, to make olive oil, you have to use a stick 
they are harvested by taking long sticks and beating the branches so that, long, so that the ripe olives will fall on, on a cloth spread beneath the branches. And there were three steps to crushing olives. First of all, all the olives had to be dumped in a large stone trough. And they would be crushed by a man or a donkey. Advancing a wooden arm attached to a round stone. This olive mush was then collected and put in round bags. And these bags were then stacked on top of each other. And a long tree trunk was placed on the bags to squeeze out even more oil. And that oil was harvested as the virgin olive oil. Then finally the stones were attached to a tree trunk to crush even more oil from the baskets. And I don't think it's any accident that Jesus went to this place to pray. I don't think it's any coincidence that on this night he would experience a soul-crushing struggle. You've probably seen works of art with Jesus praying in the garden with his arms lifted up, almost looking angelic. And I, I submit that those paintings, artist renderings, are incorrect. For in Scripture, we see Jesus falling on his face. In agony. Jesus and his men arrive at Gethsemane. He leaves eight of the disciples at the garden. The gate at the garden. He takes his three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, with them as they go deeper into the garden. Why did he single these men out? It seems that they were the leaders among the group. And they would see and hear things that would serve them as they led the other disciples later on. And Jesus gave these three a time of special ministry. He gave these three insight that would help others to grow. And, and the Lord still does that today. He puts some of his people into situations where they can see and hear and experience things that others can't imagine. He does it in, in a way that, that he might teach us so that we can teach others how to experience the power of his grace and sufficiency. <clears throat> Again, I am reminded in Luke 22 how Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that, thou, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. On this night, our Lord would enter this olive press. And yes, he would be pressed with the sweet oil of grace and submission to the Father. 
and, and it would be extracted from the Lord's life. For Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane would be an intense time of pressure. <clears throat> what kind of pressures would there be? Well, there would be internal pressures. Look at our text. He was sore amazed. This means to be struck with terror. What else does it say? Very heavy. Verse 33 speaks of a great distress and anguish. And then he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. And this literally means to be overwhelmed with sorrow. It means surrounded by overwhelming sorrow. He said, even unto death. Even unto death. This phrase means that Jesus was at the point of death when he entered and prayed at that garden in Gethsemane. He was at a place in his life where he was willing or ready to die from anguish. And the Word of God is telling us that Jesus was overwhelmed emotionally, spiritually. There was an internal struggle as he entered into the garden that night. And he knows he's about to suffer intense physical pain. He knows for the first time in eternity there will be a breach in fellowship between him and the Father. And he knows he will be abandoned by his nation, abandoned by his followers, abandoned by his Father. The thoughts of what he was about to endure literally overwhelmed his heart and mind. It was a time of extreme internal pressure. There was internal pressure, but there was also external pressure. When we read in Luke's account, it says Luke as and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly in his sweat, was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. As he prayed, he did so earnestly earnestly, so earnestly, that his capillaries in his forehead began to burst. His sweat and blood mingled together and dropped to the ground. Dr. Luke uses the word that we still use today, thrombosis. Uh, the literal translation is blood mixed with sweat. And Jesus, under agonizing pressure, so much that his scalp began to ooze bloody sweat. This condition is not new, uh, unique. A medical expert has commented of medical significance is that Luke mentions him having sweat like blood. The medical term for this is 
hematidritis. And I'm obviously a medical doctor, and I said that correctly. <laughs> and has been ex seen in extreme uh, impatience with extreme stress and shock to their systems. The capillaries around the sweat pores become fragile and begin to leak blood with the sweat. Perhaps the most hated king in France, King Louis VIII, uh, IX, excuse me. He lived <coughs> in 1572. He, he uh, ordered the St. Bartholomew massacre, massacre in and <coughs> killed 10,000 French Protestants. And the stress from the guilt drove him crazy and, he, crazy, and he died at age 23 with this disease, this great sweat, this drops of blood. The blood began to seep through his pores. He died in agony. This condition is rare, but most people die of it. Think of it. That's how close Jesus was to death that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And the body he lived in was a frail human body like ours. He knew his weariness. He knew he, he had pain and he felt pain just like us. And as he prayed that night, the emotional and spiritual pressures that came upon him were almost more than his body could handle. And yet he survived the agony at Gethsemane and went even further to Calvary. And I think, although I don't have any biblical evidence to support this, but I believe that he was under a satanic attack in Gethsemane. And the reason that I say this is because the angels came in, an, an angel came and ministered to him in Luke twenty-two forty-three. Although the Bible never says Satan was trying to <clears throat> attack him directly, I believe that Satan was trying to overload the Lord Jesus with distress and emotional suffering that would cause him to die right there. Contrary to popular opinion, I, I, <coughs> Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. I've heard some pre pre preachers say that hell rejoiced when Jesus died. And, and I don't know if that's true and because Satan would know that the cross sounds his death as well. Satan knew that Calvary was the ultimate goal of the Father. Satan knew that Cal at Calvary, Jesus would def defeat sin and death. And that's why he, in the Garden of Eden, he would try to have the temptation of Cain killing Abel. That's why he tried to move and, 
and corrupt the bloodline which would, would cause the Messiah. That's why he would try to move in Herod to kill the babies. But could I just say this? God is sovereign. And his will will be done. And no matter what anyone thinks or says, God is over all. And that doesn't mean that everyone in the world is my brother and sister. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. No, no. That means this. God is sovereign. Nothing gets by him. Nothing gets around him. Nothing gets past him. Even Satan. For even the devil is God's devil. Nothing gets by God. There were external pressures. But I believe that, that Jesus was victorious in coming, overcoming these pressures. And he showed us an example in overcoming these things, whether it be the world, the flesh, or the devil. We can overcome them. We can have victory. And not in our own strength, like Peter. I will never deny thee, Lord. And yet in, in the same night, when that rooster crowed, he denied him three times and started swearing at a little girl. I mean, the Bible says it. What kind of faith did Peter have? That when a little girl called him out, he starts swearing at her. <laughs> we think we're big and bad. It's like Peter. Did you notice his prayer in verse 35? He gives the disciples this word, watch and pray. It means, the word means to give strict attention to something. These men were to keep their eyes open for trouble. They were to pray with him and pray for him as he prayed. Jesus went deeper into Gethsemane to pray and he took a few moments to pray and he uses this word Abba. It means it's, it's the, the most <clears throat> endearing word. It's like daddy. It's, it's a word of intense intimacy. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul used this word in Romans 8.15, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's so funny, Carter, Carter's saying things, and I don't know if he's getting me confused with the, the dog, because he, both, he calls us both daddy. So I, I don't know if it's a black mark on me or the dog, but daddy! No, Carter. That's Buster. 
And as Jesus prayed, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto, the, unto thee. Take away this cup from me. And when we read this prayer, we don't think for an instant that Jesus is trying to get out of the cross. He was born for this purpose. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. No one was forcing him to go to the cross. He told the Pharisees, I lay my life down that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. This is the commandment I received from my Father. And if Jesus wasn't praying to avoid the cross, what was he praying in the garden for that night? And in Matthew's account, he records the Lord's words as follows. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It is possible that Jesus was asking the Father if accomplishing salvation another way was a possibility within the Father's redemptive plan. It's almost as if he prayed, if there's another way, let me do it that way. Think about it. Jesus was about to become sin on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And for the first time in eternity, he will be separated from his father. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He will be forsaken. He will be abandoned. He will be judged by the Father. I would also like to remind you, Jesus, again, he's at the point of death in the garden. And he didn't want to die here. He wanted to finish the task. <clears throat> And as Jesus concluded his prayer, he expressed absolute obedience to the Father's will. He didn't separate from the Father. He didn't desire to experience the Father's wrath. He didn't want to become sin, but he was willing to do it because it was part of the Father's plan. The words, I will and thou wilt let us know that this was the true time of testing for the Savior. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And just as he had done on the Mount of Temptation three and a half years earlier, he won this victory by remaining submissive to the Father's will. Let me stop here and say I thank God that he prevailed. He could have walked away and no one was forcing him to die. No one was forcing him to become sin for us. And if anyone had an excuse, it would have been him. And yet, he looked beyond that and saw the salvation of mankind. For God so loved the world. Salvation's open for everybody. He did it willingly, and that's, that's what love is about. If you have to force somebody to love you, it's not love. 
I am thankful that he endured the pain, the price that needed to be paid so that we could be saved. <clears throat> if you believed on Jesus, aren't you glad that, that he provided that grace, that mercy? And sometimes we don't think about that because it's not, it's icky. We don't want to hash up that. But listen, we need to think about it. Especially when we think about Thanksgiving. Look, you shouldn't just be thankful one time a year. I don't, just like Mother's Day, you shouldn't just be thankful for your mother one time a year. At least twice. <laughs> On your birthday and Mother's Day. That's it. <clears throat> As Jesus prayed in the garden, two sets of priorities were being played out. And one was the priority of the sinless Savior, and another was sinful men. Jesus had one overriding, overarching priority in his life. He lived to do the will of his Father. Was it easy? No, oftentimes it is not easy. Oftentimes it is an uphill battle. Do you know when I was studying this out, I found, found out that the, that upper room and where he prayed in the garden was not very far from each other, but it was a steep way. And down as they would go down this Kidron Valley, the, <clears throat> the brook Kidron would flow red from the sacrifices of the temple. All the blood from the temple sacrifices would run down. And <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but liquid always runs downhill. So it would run down to this brook, and you couldn't drink water from this brook. Can you imagine Jesus and his disciples walking past this brook Kidron and it running red with all the temple sacrifices? For Passover, it just happened. And think about it. He was the last Passover lamb. He was the last sacrifice that ever had to be sacrificed. He was it. As he entered that garden and he knew that the priority of his life was to do the will of his father. And yet... His disciples never got it. These were men that had seen and heard Jesus actually. Living with Jesus. And they, this, was, this is what gives me hope. If they made mistakes and they actually lived with Jesus... When I make a mistake, I 
I can have peace in knowing that Jesus forgives. That when he said it is finished and it's all done. There, there, there's nothing we can add to or take away from salvation. Now, <clears throat> we come to the disciples in the garden, Peter, James, and John falling asleep. And we all have different tactics for staying awake. Brother David has told me of... Uh, a story of a soldier who fell asleep with his eyes open. It is possible. Nothing's going on upstairs. If you don't believe me, ask Josh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Watch him pray, Josh. <laughs> Watch... And the fact is that they really didn't believe all the things that he told them about the betrayal. They really didn't believe that, that he was going to die. They probably thought that he was being dramatic. It is possible that they slept out of necessity. Listen. Human beings need sleep. <clears throat> it's been a proven fact that if you deprive someone of their sleep, they will go crazy. These studies come out of Russia. They, they do it on real human people. <laughs> They have them listen to, to Justin Bieber for 24 hours straight. That would keep me up at night. But Jesus warns his men to be watchful and prayerful because the time of temptation and trial is coming their way and they'll need spiritual help to make it through this time of testing. We all have these times in life where we go through Testing. Jesus goes away to pray twice, and each time he returns, he finds them sleeping. Jesus lived to fulfill his Father's will, and they lived to gratify themselves to meet their own need. And imagine how their failure to stand with him in his hardest hour must have added pain and a sense of loneliness and isolation. The lesson from this passage is clear. Jesus achieved victory because he was vigilant and diligent in prayer. He leaned on his father and his father gave him the victory. It was always dramatic faith, this dramatic faith that God was going to come through. And even in his pain, in his agony, in his quote-unquote defeat, three days later, up from the grave, he would come forth. 
even when we talk about Mary anointing the body of Jesus for his burial, do you realize that when those ladies that went, Mary and the other Mary that went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, he wasn't there. His body never got anointed except for when Mary did it. It was a time of self-confidence for the disciples. They slept and they were indifferent to the world around them. They were tempted and they, they were called upon to think of themselves first. In chapter, this same chapter in verse 50, what did they do? And they all forsook him and fled. Hmm. Last time I checked, all means every single one of them. Don't think for a minute that the same thing can't happen to any of us. Don't think for a minute that you're too spiritual, that this won't, this could never happen to me. No, no. The same pattern will manifest itself in our life when we live in the power of the flesh. We, may, we must stay close and clean if we are to avoid giving in to temptation and becoming a spiritual shipwreck. Life is a series of battles. But you know what? If you are a Christian, you have a distinctive edge. <clears throat> In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat found, that's the name of my second son, Jehoshaphat, found himself, my wife's not in here so I can say anything I want, <laughs> found himself facing a much larger opposing enemy. And he did exactly what Jesus did in the garden. He fell on his face. You know what he said? I'm going to paraphrase. Lord, we don't have the power to face this vast, vast army. We don't know what to do. Have you ever felt that way before? We, we're overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. And this is what he said. I'm outnumbered. I don't have a clue. And he prayed this. Lord... We don't have the power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's the key. Our eyes are on you. Not, not what's going on in the world. Not what's happening with the government or lack thereof. <laughs> not what's happening with a, a pandemic, which has always gone. Listen to me. 56 million people every year around the world die from heart disease. 56 million people. <clears throat> and yet nobody's up in arms about heart disease. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. 
God sent a prophet to Jehoshaphat and told him, don't be afraid for the battle is the Lord's. So Jehoshaphat was was so certain of victory that he placed the choir on the front lines. It's not something you would normally do. I don't know if you know that in battle. You don't usually put the choir in the front. And uh, they marched out singing praises to God. And, and when the, er- the enemy heard the sound of praises, they got so confused, they started fighting each other. <laughs> Only God can do that. And here's the great promise. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. With everything going on around the world, don't forget this promise that God will keep us in peace if our mind is stayed upon him, if we're trusting in him. If you're saved today, worship God. When we think of all that he's endured for us that night, it should drive us to our knees in worship. It should fill us in our hearts with praise. It should make us want to lift holy hands to praise. But oftentimes we are like the disciples who are asleep, sometimes out of apathy. But the hour now, now is the time for action. And what's the most we can do is pray. For it is prayer that moves the hand and heart of God. If you're not saved, the sight of the suffering Savior in Gethsemane should should cause you to want to come to him and be saved today. As he's spoken to your heart today, if he has, come as he calls. Love him, worship him, praise him, adore him, believe him, receive him. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this place called Gethsemane. We thank you for Christ. And God, we so often overlook the price that he paid. But God, thank you for that grace, that mercy. Help us not to take the grace of God for, for an advantage. And God, as we go through the battles of life, help us to understand that the victory is ours when we do your will. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We'll have a brief